0: And would you remain standing and we'll give attention to our passage today as we continue in our series through, through the book of Romans. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm grateful to be able to share this with you today. This is from Romans chapter one, beginning in verse two and through verse 17. God's word to you today. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and who are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me, first, uh, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring your needs and prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing to come at last to see you for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you to see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. Last week we started our series, our journey through the book of Rome, Romans, uh, by learning the bottom line that really holds everything together through all 16 chapters that Paul writes in his letter to the church at Rome. We learned the bottom line, which is that God delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver a people. In this case, God delivered a person, Paul, to deliver the message of the good news to the people of Rome. But the same is true for us. God wants to deliver people just like us through the good news of Jesus, to deliver the message of the good news to people who need to hear the good news about Jesus. And this happened for Paul specifically on his way to Damascus. You can read about this story in Acts chapter 9. He's on his way to arrest Christians, people who had chosen to follow Jesus and who were spreading the message of the gospel in Damascus and beyond. And on his way, uh, Jesus encounters Paul in a very vivid way and speaks to him and asks him why he's persecuting him and it was in that moment that Paul crossed from death to life as he trusted and believed in Jesus and his path was made new and he had a new mission in his life to to go and tell people specifically people that didn't know about God about the good news of Jesus to Gentiles people that were far off from God and it's not hyperbole to say we're seated here today worshiping God because of Paul's ministry He wanted the circle of the gospel to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We mentioned last week that other than Jesus, Paul might be the most consequential person that has ever lived. God put him on a new path. He delivered him to share the message of Jesus with a whole other group of people. We learned the story last week of Augustine, the great church father in the fourth century that was living however he wanted to in the story of the world, in the city of Milan. And God got a hold of him through Uh, Romans, the book of Romans. Remember, he was walking and he heard uh, the voice of God speaking to him. Pick up and read. Pick up and read. Pick up and read. And so, Augustine picked up the Bible, and guess which book it fell to? Romans, Romans 13. And he read Romans 13 and he was convicted of the way that he was living, that it wasn't the story of God. And he began to trust God. And in his words, he said, all doubts disappeared when he, when he read the story of Jesus through, through the book of Romans. In my own story with the book of Romans, my, my, my family, we, we grew up here in Charlotte. My mom and dad would have said they were Christians. Uh, but they would say that, that they really didn't know Jesus. They were culturally Christians. They were culturally Christians. They, they, they went to church, we did twice a year. I was, I was baptized in the church, I didn't know anything about Jesus. When the pastor came to our house, uh, I remember my mom and dad saying that he took out a napkin and, and, and drew a, a, a circle and said, you know, faith is like this and you gotta believe but you also gotta give to the church and you gotta attend a certain number of times a year and you gotta do good works and you gotta help other people and that's how you become a Christian. So we were far from God in the understanding of the gospel that from start to finish, it's a work of grace and faith. And, and there was a neighbor in our neighborhood that thought about my family, specifically thought about my mom and invited her to come into the circle, that, 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 that expanded the circle and thought beyond you know just the people that she knew, but thought about people who were far from God and needed to hear the message of Jesus. And as my mom tells us, she's here today that that she thought it was a neighborhood tea. But when she got there, it was an inductive Romans Bible study. And I brought the study, she she gave it to me this week. Uh, Kay Arthur, who was like the the original Beth Moore, right? And yeah, I I texted my mom, I was like, this is like scrolls. This is like, you know, papyrus, like, (laughs) but all kinds of underlining. And you you remember Kay Arthur used uh, different colored pens and symbols and and ways to get into God's word. And so, you know, in the same way that Augustine heard God saying, you know, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. My mom picked up and she read. And she underlined. And she put symbols. And she marked up her Bible. And she studied. And she met Jesus. And my mom introduced us to Jesus. Jesus. And so in many ways, this is a thank you to my mom, this series, for introducing us to Jesus. It was through Romans that she met Christ, that my sisters and I met Christ, my dad met Christ, and the circle got bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I wonder about your story. You know, all of us have a story. You need to hear this. You have a story, and your story matters. Your story matters to God and it matters to us. And the message of the gospel, right, is that God wants to deliver us through the good news of Jesus so that we can go to other people in our lives, in our families, maybe people that we eat with every day, people that we sit with at work, people that we pass every day in our neighborhood, because they need to hear the gospel. And that's the story of Jesus. That's the story of Romans. And... and Paul wants to make it clear, right, in his introduction that the gospel is all about Jesus. And so, you know, Kay Author says in her study that Romans is like the Constitution. That if the resurrection was the declaration, Romans is the Constitution. It reminds us of what happened through the resurrection of Jesus and how to continue to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you just like, um, just like this study is all marked up and um, you know, underlined, and I wanna encourage you to do the same thing in your Bibles. And we talked last week about bringing your Bible to church. You know, we're not gonna you know, take attendance or mark you down if you don't, it's fine, right? Come as you are, but I just wanna encourage you as your pastor to bring your Bible. Because something happens when you're able to underline and take a note and and go further in your study. And really, as we walk through the book of Romans, it's a lot, right? And Sunday morning is really just a primer to get you going in your own study and to go further with other people, maybe in a group or at the dinner table to have discussions about God's word. And so we're going to give you a guide today. Some of you got it last week, but I want to encourage you. We're going to hand these out at the door. It's got every scripture, uh, every sermon title and all the dates through the end of the year which is part 1, the first 7 chapters of Romans. And I want to encourage you to put this in your Bible to read ahead before you come and to study. If you got one last week, get another one and give it get it give it to somebody who needs to be here. Uh, use it as an invitation uh, to invite people to come and to participate. And if you can't be here to watch online for the weeks that you're you're not able to be here in person. Uh, We talked about a study Bible last week. And I wanna encourage you to pick up a study Bible if you don't have one already. I've got a QR code that I'm just gonna show you quickly. If you wanna take a picture of this, this is the one that I would recommend. We use the NLT in terms of preaching. I like the NLT and we can talk about translation sometime. I like the NLT because it's a thought for thought translation. It just reads better. Um, I study from the ESV as well. Some of you have an ESV. It's a great translation as well. They're both very scholarly, great translations. The ESV is a word-for-word translation. So when you read your ESV, um, great scholarly work. It doesn't always flow. Um, in the same way because some words don't transliterate from Greek uh, to English in the same way. So both of them are great translations. The point is that you're getting into God's word and you're studying. And the great thing with a study Bible if you've never had one is it's gonna give you helps and maps and commentaries to go along to help explain the passages. So this is the one that I would recommend just because we're preaching from the NLT on Sunday mornings. But if you have an NIV or an ESV, these are great translations of the scriptures. And I want to encourage you just to use that as you study. If you need a study Bible, okay, if cost is prohibitive for you, we're going to have them. They're on order and they'll be here next Sunday, okay, and we'll have it throughout the series. So if you need a study Bible, you can grab one. Here's, Here's the only thing I would just ask, okay. If you grab one, use it. Okay, don't use it as a doorstop or, or something to gather dust on your bookshelf or, you know, put it on your desk. Say, look at my study Bible. Isn't it beautiful? But never pick it up. Okay, so if you're going to grab one, we'd love for you to have it if cost is, is prohibitive for you. Um, but just use it, okay, or give it to somebody who you know is going to use it. All right, let's jump into the scripture today. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open with me again to our text, which is in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look specifically at verses 2 through 17. Now, last week we talked about one verse, okay? You know, today we've got 16. So the pace is going to pick up here a little bit. So I want to encourage you, if you have a pen or anything to take notes with, to, to go ahead and take some notes. Because today we're going to talk about an introduction to the gospel. You know, what is the gospel? And then Paul's going to give some very important statements about the good news of Jesus as he begins his letter to the church at Rome. Now, we entitled our series Pure Gospel. Why did we entitle it that way? Well, because Martin Luther, who was one of the great church reformers in the 16th century, called the book of Romans the Pure Gospel. And it was actually a passage in our passage today, verse 17 in chapter 1, that changed Martin Luther's life. He struggled with the balance between works and grace and how much was him and how much was God. And when he got to verse 17, he was stopped in his tracks when uh, Paul says, from start to finish, this was always about faith. It was always about you believing and trusting in what God has already done. And that transformed Martin Luther's life, transformed John Wesley's life as he read Martin Luther's commentaries and on and on and on. Again, God delivers a person, to deliver a message, to deliver a people, and he's used his word and specifically the word of Romans to do that for so many people through the years. But Martin Luther called this the pure gospel. K. Arthur called it the declaration of God and underst- or the constitution of God to understand uh, what is the gospel, what is the good news, and how do we continue to stay in it and live in it. So let's talk about this. This is the bottom line for today, that the gospel is who, if you're taking no- notes, who, not What? What what do I mean by that? The gospel is about a person. It's not about an abstract concept. Now sometimes we can talk about the gospel and it inoculates us to the person of Jesus. We can think about it like a philosophy or a doctrine or a way of thinking and not get to who is Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's like, maybe this is a silly illustration, but it's like saying, you know, I just, I love my marriage. I just, I'm in love with my marriage. I just, I remember when I, when I first met my marriage and we first started dating and what are you talking about? No, I love Jen. And I remember when I met Jen. I remember when I looked at, in her eyes for the first time. I remember when we held hands for the first time. We were back on campus yesterday doing a tour with our kids where we met. And, we're, you know, where we saw each other for the first time, you know. And it was like, this is such a, a great thing. But if I describe my relationship with Jen just by, this is, and this is a pet peeve of mine, by the way. When I hear someone, and it's okay, but if when I hear someone, go, you know, the wife, the wife came with me. Or me and the wife are going, well, you... You mean Jen? You mean the person that you married? You, you refer to them by, by like their role? No. Like it's, it's about a personal relationship. And the same thing can happen sometimes with the gospel where we talk, we're going to talk about what actually is the gospel. Where we talk about the gospel as like this lofty concept or this idea or what have you. And we don't really bring it back to, you no, the gospel all about Jesus, so when we think about this, and again, the bottom line truth for today is as Paul introduces the gospel to us through, the, through uh, verses two through 17 in, in Romans one, he's gonna make it all about Jesus. So the gospel is who and not what. What is this gospel, this good news for which Paul was willing to become, go back to verse one, a doulos, which is the word for slave, uh, in total submission to Jesus, which was unheard of for a Roman citizen like Paul. What was this gospel, that Paul was willing to become a servant of above everything else to give his life completely to it. Well, the word gospel, again, if you're taking notes, is evangeloi in the Greek, okay? Which means good herald. You say, well, what is that, Chris? Well, the word herald means news. So it translates literally good news, but here's here's the concept to go even further. In the first century, let's think about the Roman Empire, as they continue to expand their circle of authority and territory in the first century world. Every time there was a far-off battle, and maybe the emperor or one of his uh, dignitaries was there overseeing the battle, when they would achieve victory, they would send angeloys from where we get our word angels or messengers, they would send messengers back to Rome, back home to announce the victory, and that the emperor, Caesar himself, had conquered and established more authority in a new place and established the peace that they brought there, and, and this was now their territory. And this is the same concept and word that Paul uses to describe the good news of the gospel: that King Jesus came here to establish his authority on earth as it is in heaven. And that now he's brought peace to us. Romans 5:1, we therefore now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that God brought peace to us, and now we live in his authority and his victory. So the word itself, gospel, evangeloi, means good news or good herald. It's, It's announcing the good news of victory and peace and authority of King Jesus. So in this way, the gospel is not good advice to be considered in how you live your life. It's not a tip for you. The gospel is good news to be believed. It's an announcement of victory for you. It's the announcement of peace for you, of living under the authority of King Jesus. So some of you have seen, you know, the the front of the New York Times after World War II on V-Day, and there were two different, you know, announcements there. One was, we win, and the other one was, war is over. And you've seen the iconic photos of people kissing in the streets and celebrating all this stuff. Well, what if you just sat there with your arms crossed and went, well, that." I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, it, that wasn't advice for you. It was a declaration of what happened. And because you, everyone was affected by the war, they knew someone that was there, a loved one, their way of life. It was, it was a tremendous celebration of victory at what happened. It was an announcement to be enjoyed and celebrated and lived in. But if you heard that, we win or war is over, and you crossed your arms and went, eh, but it doesn't really affect me then you didn't really understand what was at stake you didn't really understand what was happening we'll get to that in just a moment when it comes to the gospel this is the metaphor that Paul uses to say the evangeloid the good news is the declaration of what Jesus has Done. And so Paul says, I'm a herald of this announcement. I'm a bringer of the good news, just like the, the evangel or uh, Angelos would come and, and make the declaration, the message of victory. Paul says, I'm now going and doing the same thing. And Paul knew that the best protection for the church at Rome that had problems, just like us, just like every church, because it was full of people with problems, that the best way to protect them was to give them truth. The best way to protect them against the false story of the world was to give them the truth of the gospel. In other words, the best way to protect your heart, your children, your circle against the lies of this world is to come back to the truth of the gospel. In this way, the best defense is a good offense. And so Paul begins describing what. Is the gospel? What is the good news that Jesus has done? And he so he gives these strong truths as an introduction to the good news of Jesus. And I want to give you five of them. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here they come. All right, the first one here in verse two is you know that God promised the good news. Again, Paul's given a primer for the gospel here. What what is the gospel and why does it matter? Well, he says first of all, look at verse two, Romans one that God promised the good news long ago. Specifically, he says God promised this good news long ago through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What is he saying? He's saying that the Hebrew Testament, the prophets and the Scriptures, everything that was written before Jesus, the 39 books of the Hebrew Testament, all pointed to the story of Jesus. Now, this is amazing because We know from Paul that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he spent his entire life studying the scriptures. From the time he was 13, he studied and he trained with a rabbi. He was was the best of the best. He was an expert, and yet he had missed Jesus. You can know a lot about God, guys, and not know God. Paul knew a lot about God, but he missed him. And he was going the other direction. He was persecuting people who were following Jesus. And God stops him in his tracks. And it's an encounter with the person of Jesus that changes him. Information wasn't enough. It took an incarnation to change him. God gave the prophets, the patriarchs, general revelation that we see in creation. All are ways that God is revealing himself to us. But the ultimate revelation of God, everyone watch this, was Jesus The person of Jesus, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. John says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That God moved into your story. God met you on your terms where you are. God stepped towards you. And you guys have heard me say it over and over again. I'm going to keep saying it. Christianity stands apart in this, that God made the first move towards you. Every other world religion, if you're an explorer right now, you're kicking the tires on what does it mean to follow Jesus, mark this, that one of the differences above Christianity and following Jesus is that Jesus asked you out first. He called you first. He stepped towards you. It wasn't you praying three prayers or getting your act together or dressing a different way or talking a different way or getting a degree or having a certain financial status or whatever it might be. It was God moving into your world. Jesus taking on flesh and explaining himself to you. And so in this way, that when Paul says, you know, God promised this long ago, what he's saying is that all the dots are connected from Genesis to Revelation. And that all the scriptures is telling one story, one congruent message, the story of Jesus. And so Paul is declaring to the church, as you read the Hebrew Testament, as you read all the prophets and all the stories, all of them are really telling one story, it's a preparation and a pointer to Jesus. And by the way, in Romans 16, in the final chapter of his letter to the church at Rome, Paul describes Jesus in this beautiful way. He says, Jesus is the hope of Israel. And this would have been monumental for a Jew to say this, that in other words, Jesus is the one that was promised all along. And so as Paul encounters Jesus, his, his eyes are open to read the scriptures in a new way. And to read all the narrative and the story of the Hebrew Testament in light of Jesus. So he connects the dots and he says, this was promised long ago. In other words, salvation and God coming to save us through Jesus was, was his idea. That he came up with it long ago that he uh, designed this, that he foreknew this. We'll get into that, that God God designed the whole rescue plan from start to finish. And then uh, Paul says, again, the good news is, is who, not what. Look at verses three and four, all right? Verse three should stop us in our tracks. The good news, this is so simple, but we miss it. The good news is about his son. The good news is about Jesus, a person, Not information, not advice, not a concept, not a theology, not another philosophy. The good news, Paul says, is about Jesus and we should never forget it. And Jesus was two things, namely, that Paul teaches us here in verses 3 and 4. He was fully man and he was fully God. Look at verse 3. He was born into the line of King David. So he fulfilled the prophecies of, of King David's throne, ruling and reigning forever. That was Jesus that fulfilled that. He was born into a real family. He was a real person just like us. But look at verse four, he was also fully God. He wasn't 50-50. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that you know, Jesus was God, but then he was man, but then he was resurrected. He was just a man, and then he slipped in and out of his deity and then back to humanity. no. The scriptures teach that he was fully God and fully man, 100%, 100%. And verse 4 tells us he was the son of God, he was deity, he was God himself, and what proves it? The most monumental event in human history. What proves it? Look at verse 4. The resurrection. The resurrection proved that Jesus was the son of God, and Paul wants his audience, wants us to know that that the son of man and the son of God came to rescue and redeem us and he is fully both. The good news is about a person, not a concept. It's a who and not a what. Let's keep going. Verses five through seven, the third thing that Paul wants to tell us about the gospel here, the good news. He wants to tell us that the good news is for everyone everywhere. I love this. I'm gonna read verse five to you again. Paul says, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. He's not given them the privilege and the authority to go and tell them what they need to do for God. All the things you need to do to prove your worth to God. Here's four more things. If you'll just do it, God will love you. Paul says we have the privilege and we have the authority, which by the way, the same is true for us. We have the privilege and now we operate under the authority of King Jesus and his victory. When we tell people who are far from God what God has done for them, this is the difference between a relationship and religion. Religion says this is what you have to do for God. And if you'll just do these things for God, then everything will be fine. But guess what? Once you do those things, there's another list of things you have to do. And it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. A relationship with Jesus starts with what God has done for you. This is the good news of what God has done for you. And when you understand that, and some of you are very close to understanding that, because you grew up in a place that was telling you, just like the pastor that visited our house before our family were Christians, here's all the things you got to do to be a Christian adding things on to faith. And we've learned this equation before. Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Fast forward to verse 17, the passage that changed Martin Luther's life. Faith from start to finish. This is all an exercise in believing what God has done. Now I want you to pay attention to this. After we tell people what God has done for them, the essence of the gospel, here's what happens. They believe... Look at verse 5. They obey and they bring glory to the name of Jesus. And it's in that order, by the way, if you're taking notes. Our response to the gospel is always belief, it's faith, to trust. And out of that trust, then we begin to obey. If we start to obey before we believe, it becomes religiosity. I've got to do these things to prove my worth to God. I've got to do six steps. I've got to look the part. I've got to act the part. I've got to stop eating this. I've got to start eating that. I've got to start attending this. I've got to do all. Believe me, in every way, shape, and form, humanity has tried to put God in a box and perform for God. And if it were obey first and then believe, this would just be another religion. But this is a revelation and a revolution because Paul says it's about believing and trusting what God has done. And then out of that, I want to obey. I wanna bring my life into alignment with what God says. This is the following portion where I begin to follow Jesus in every area of my life, which is a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? Right, isn't it? (laughs) To continue to bring my life into accordance with what God says. I don't know about you, but that's an everyday thing for me to follow Jesus in every area of my life. But the more and more I follow Jesus, guess what happens? I I begin to bring glory to his name. And the more I bring glory to his name, other people around me go, something's different about you. Because God delivers a person to deliver a message to deliver more people. And when God called you, he had somebody else in mind. He didn't just have you in mind. He had your kids, he had your grandparents, he had your neighbors, he had your coworkers. he had people that you were going to meet before you even met them to share the same message that changed your life. If Charlotte Martin hadn't invited my mom to a neighborhood Bible study, I'm not sure I would be standing here right now. But she did. She was faithful to share the message that had been given to her. And now we're being faithful to share that message with other people. So the good news was Paul says, verses five through seven, for everyone, everywhere. And look at the first four words of verse six. And you are included. These are great words. Maybe this is the reason why you're here today or you're watching. You need to hear these words. And you are included. Those four words are powerful. The gospel is always about circles getting bigger, not smaller. It's always about one more chair in the circle, one more person to hear the good news of Jesus. It's never about exclusivity. It's always about who doesn't believe God, who isn't living the story of God. How can I share my story with someone else? Until we go to be with Jesus, we're meant to share the story of Jesus. And so Paul wants his audience to know you're included And we'll get to this at the end of the passage. I have so many more people in mind, God says, through Paul. More people to reach. More people to come and understand the true story of God. The true story of why they were made. I love what Tim Keller says about this. We never grasp the gospel, the good news, until we understand that it is not fundamentally a message about us. It's not a message about our lives, our dreams, and our hopes. The gospel speaks about all those things and transforms those things, but only because it isn't about us, it's about Jesus. And the more we understand that, the more our lives change. But the way that we are wired is we try to make every single thing about us, even even the gospel. And Paul is making it clear that this message is for everyone everywhere and it's not about you. It's about Jesus and sharing his story with people that need to understand it. I'm so glad for those first four words of verse six. If you have your Bible, maybe underline those. The gospel includes you. Have you ever felt like you're not included? You ever walked into a room and you knew I don't belong here or you felt like you don't belong here? Maybe you walked in here today and you felt that way. And you need to hear these words and you are included that God includes you, that he was thinking about you, that he prepared a place and a way for you through Jesus, that he came for you. Paul says the gospel will bring mutual encouragement, the fourth thing. Look at verses eight through 12. Pay attention to the words here. Paul says, you know, I, first of all, he says, let me say first, after he said all of these things, now he's like, now we're gonna start. Um, and he says, I, I long to be with you. And, you know, I, I pray for you. Your, your faith is being talked about everywhere. I mean, talk about an encouragement. He says, day and night, pay attention to this for those of you who are prayer warriors. Day and night, I bring your needs and prayer before God. Who's God calling you to pray for to bring their needs before him? And he says, you know, I, 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 I want to serve God with all my heart by spreading the good news to other people. And then look at verse 10. One of the things I always pray for is an opportunity. I pray for an opportunity. And in this instance, he says an opportunity to visit you. And he goes on to tell them, I've tried, but I've been prevented from, from from visiting you until now. But I just wonder, do you pray for an opportunity to share Jesus with people? God, give me an opportunity. The way that Luke says it in the book of Acts is that a door of faith would be opened. Isn't that beautiful? Even if it's just a little crack. God, would you open up a door of faith for that person in my life that is far from you, that is hurt by the church, has been hurt by other people, that is obstinate to you. Would you just open up a door of faith right now? Who who would that person be right now? God, would you give me an opportunity? I'm praying for an opportunity where I can share Jesus, maybe with words, maybe just through my actions that I could share. I want you to pay attention to the words here. Look at 11 and 12. Paul says, you know, I... I long to be with you. He uses uh, the phrase in verse 13, dear brothers and sisters, which is a phrase he probably learned from James when we were studying James. James used that over and over again. The phrase, dear brothers and sisters, means my fellow followers of Jesus. In other words, Paul puts himself in the story. He doesn't put himself over people. He puts himself with people. And I want you to pay attention to this. He says, I, I long to be with you. I've, I've planned to be with you, but you know, I haven't had a chance to do it. But when we get together, look at verse 12. I want to encourage you in your faith, but what? I also want to be encouraged by you. In other words, I'm not just coming here to give you a bunch of information. I'm coming here for my own discipleship, Paul says, to be encouraged by you. And by the way, everyone watch this when we share Jesus with other people, when we teach Jesus to other people, we, we are being discipled. We're being grown in our faith. We're being encouraged in our faith. So it's not just about sitting on a Sunday morning, this is wonderful, and, 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 and listening to podcasts and other great you know, teachings and all the things, those are wonderful things to do. But at some point, it's about sharing that with other people. And as you share that with other people, as you share life and and the good news with other people, you are growing. We've done this exercise before, but if you just keep breathing in, you know, let's just try that. Just breathe in for a second. Now breathe in again. Now breathe in again. And again. Just keep breathing in. You can't do it. At some point, you have to exhale. And the same is true with the gospel. The gospel. You got to keep breathing it in, but you got to be faithful to breathe it out too, to people around you. And maybe that's a way that you'll remember what God's called you to do, to not only receive his good promises, but you're meant to be a herald of the good news to other people in your circle. So I want you to pay attention to this, that Paul says, I long to be with you. I want to be together. I want to encourage you, but I also want to be encouraged and in this way, Paul was saying that information about Jesus, again, isn't enough. I want to uh, be an incarnation of Jesus with you. He, he could have just written the letter and said, here's the information about the gospel. Just study this and read this. And that would have been really good. But Paul says, I want to live it with you. I want to talk. I want to hear your questions. I, I, I want to learn from you and what you're getting and what you're learning from Jesus it was an incarnation of the gospel, not just information about the gospel. And this tells us everything we need to know about Jesus, that he left heaven to come to earth to be with us and flesh to explain the gospel to us. Now, here's the thing, guys. For many of us in our, you know, we talk about the word oikos. The word oikos means household in the New Testament. And over and over again, we see people, individuals believing, and it says, they and all their oikos believed. So it wasn't just that all of these people were engrafted in or included because one person, a mom or a dad, it's that they were introduced to the gospel through the faith of their mom or their dad or that person of influence in their oikos, in their household. The inference is that when God reached one person, he had other people in mind. He had the, your circle of influence, your, your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, that God had, has them in mind. And the way that God reaches people primarily, not only, but primarily is through oikos by thinking about these circles of influence that God has placed his people in as they believe the message of the gospel, then they share the message of the gospel with people who need to hear the message of the gospel. And this is how the church exploded, was everybody was on mission and sharing that with other people. Now, here's the thing. For many of you, the people in your circle, in your oikos, the first book of the Bible, if you will, that they will read is you. Yeah, they're going to read Bob 1-1. They're going to read Mike 1-1, Sally 1-1. They're going to hear the message of Jesus and understand Jesus first and foremost through you. Now, of course, we want them to read the scriptures just like we're studying and reading. But many people, the first Bible they'll read is you. An incarnation of the truth with flesh on now, I want you to pay attention to, you know, what Paul says here. Because at the end, he says, you know, God made us right. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It's that how we're viewed by God. So some people say, well, I'm not perfect, so I can't tell other people about a perfect God. Well, if the standard is for you to be perfect, then none of us would tell anybody about a perfect God. What Paul is saying here is how God sees you. You're, it's a legal term. Your standing, your justification before God. And now that is your identity. That's the story that you have to tell. Not that you are perfect, but look at the language. You have been made perfect through Christ. That's how God sees you. And God wants us to be mutually encouraged through that. Here's the last thing. I said there were five. Here's the fifth one. Verses 13 through 14. There's a great harvest that Paul talks about here. It's a spiritual fruit, if you will, that he wants to participate in. He says, you know, I've, I've tried many times to visit you. I've been prevented until now. But I long to see a spirit, uh, to impart some spiritual fruit to you that I have seen among other Gentiles. And he says this, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and to the uneducated alike. In other words, to all people, not just to Romans, but to people beyond that. We talked about last week, Paul's ultimate vision was Spain. He wanted to go to Spain and preach the gospel where no one else had preached before. And he wanted Rome, the church at Rome specifically, to catch a vision beyond themselves for their circle to get bigger. And so in this sense, Paul is saying, I want to see spiritual fruit come to pass a great harvest in the church, but also outside of the church for Rome and beyond Rome. And guys, here's the deal. We grow as Christians. We experience spiritual fruit and nurturing and growth in our faith when we are about discipling and helping other people to do the same. You will, you will experience a depth of discipleship and growth in your life when you begin to disciple someone else. And you say, I'm not ready for that. Well, read the Bible. The disciples were not ready for it. At all, right? They fell all over themselves, just like we do. They didn't have all the answers, but they were faithful to point to the one who did, to tell the bigger story. And as they told the bigger story, God grew them up and was faithful to encourage them and to provide for them a great harvest and spiritual fruit. Let me just ask a question real quick with verse 14. Who do you have an obligation for and to? Paul says, I have a great obligation to, to share the good news. Who in your circle is God calling you to that you would say, I, I just have an obligation to hang in there with them. They're annoying. They pull for all the wrong teams. They vote for all the wrong people. They talk about whatever, whatever. But I got to hang in there with them because I'm obligated to share the good news to them. Did you know that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, had 100 a, a people in his prayer journal that he prayed for regularly that they would come to know Jesus, that they would cross from death to life, that they would receive the good news of Jesus. And 96 of them met the Lord before D.L. Moody passed away. And in his journal, he just little, like, you know, checking them off. A hundred of them. And the other four came to Christ at his funeral. Who's, who's your one? Who is your one? the person that God has obligated you to, to share the good news with for mutual encouragement that you'll grow, right? But you'll see them grow as well as they experience the good news. That's a person and not just a, a concept. Let's finish here with these, with these words that maybe you've heard before. In this context, right? Once Paul introduces the gospel that it's about a person and not a concept, once he gives these truths about the gospel that we learned today, then he says these words. He says, I'm eager to come to you to preach the good news because I'm not ashamed of the good news. And we're going to talk about this next week as Paul begins to talk about the darkness of the story of the world, that the world story is a shame narrative. The story of the world leads to shame. And Paul um, contrast this when he thinks about the story of God and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, where he says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, in other words, starting all the way back with the story of Abraham, and now all the way to the Gentiles, to Romans just like you, to people just like us here in Charlotte. And then he says these words, the words that changed Martin Luther's life. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Doesn't say the good news tells us how we are perfect. He says it's how we are made right in God's sight when he sees us. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that, righteous, that a righteous person has life. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of this narrative. Another word for it, a synonym would be offended. I'm not offended by the good news. We live in an offended culture. The first century was a culture of offense and shame. And Paul says, I'm not offended by the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God is salvation in my life. I've experienced it and I've seen other people. It's the power of salvation for them when they choose to trust and believe in the story of God and not in the story of the world, the story of themselves. Now, let's close here. Why would you be ashamed of good news? Why would you be ashamed to hold up the New York Times that says we win, war is over? Why would you receive that and be offended by that? Because you never believed your story was that bad. You never really believed we were at war. You never understood what was really at stake. And so when someone comes and says, I came to save you, I came to redeem you, I came to rescue you, you say, well, that's news to me. I didn't even know I needed redeeming. I didn't think I was that bad. And we're going to pick up there next week in verse 18, and I'm going to tell you. It's bad, it's really bad. And we're gonna see that next week. Bottom line today, Romans one, two through 17, the gospel is who? Jesus and not what? To Christ be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for including us, those beautiful words, and you are included. And you are included. So I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters, for every person here and watching, that they would hear you saying that to them, you're included, you're invited, you are seen, you are known, you are loved. That is the message of the gospel. The gospel sits at the intersection for all of us between our story and the story of Jesus. So thank you Jesus for loving us, for seeing us, for including us. And may our response today be belief. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God for all of those who believe. Would you help us to believe today, Jesus? Give us the wisdom to know what you've said to us today and the courage to go and live it out. In Christ's name, amen.